In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjal fajram. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, thank you for joining us once again in our life series. As you will remember, where we stopped last time we met, we had started the topic of the scholar or the teacher in Islam. And so after we established the importance of knowledge and rationality and knowledge seeking, and we established that in Islam there are two conditions that have to be met for knowledge seeking, which are the importance of the sincerity of the intent from the activity of seeking knowledge, and that knowledge must become something that translates into action. And so we called it transformational knowledge. Knowledge that transforms us from the inside and that this is going to start showing in our external behavior and conduct. Once that part was understood, then we explored what Islam has to say about being, therefore, as a first step on our journey and taking the concrete action, becoming a learner. What does that mean? And so we explored it in a series of themes that we refer to as the ingredients of the learner or the effective learner or ingredients for effective learning according to Islam. And we also spoke about the manners, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, the manners of the learner. We spoke also about, in addition to the manners, also the merits of the learner, how special they are, what is their rank in this world and in the afterlife. We said, therefore, once that this is well understood, we move to the next logical part of this process of acquiring knowledge. Once you have acquired knowledge and you are a learner, you are to some degree a carrier of knowledge. And so you are slowly becoming the teacher. You are becoming the scholar. And everyone at some point as a learner is somewhere on the continuum of carrying knowledge. Some people much more than others, but everyone is carrying a certain amount of knowledge. And so, first and foremost, we want to study this notion of the scholar in Islam, the teacher in Islam, first and foremost, because we are supposed to be that person. So this has a very practical, direct implication for us. This is the standard against which we are trying to move ourselves and to become ourselves. And secondly, because we are somewhere on that journey of acquiring knowledge, seeking and acquiring knowledge, this also means that we need to look for these people and find them. And so we want to understand who they are, how do we deal with them, we want to understand what are their characteristics, how do we recognize them, and so on one side, there is a component that is much more personal for us, which is this is what we have to work towards ourselves. And secondly, this is what we're looking for when we say a scholar, when we say a teacher. These are some of the, some of the characteristics we're looking for. And as usual, we're combining here between very practical things and outward things that you can observe and you can recognize. 
and many th- other things that are much more spiritual. And so those are not things you can necessarily observe. You may assume those things about a person, but you can't really tell because you can never really go and look inside the heart of someone, the soul of someone. And so for those, it's much more important for us to consider these as our own standards. And if there are conditions or clues or indications that are given in the ahadith of how maybe to recognize some of these more spiritual things, then we can also benefit from them. Otherwise, we're not really trying to make a judgment and assess the spirituality of anyone else. So we began this discussion first and foremost by saying, as an introduction, when we refer to the scholar, when we refer to the teacher, who is the perfect specimen, who is the perfect example that illustrates the notion of the scholar and the teacher in Islam? And in short, we said it has to be the infallible. It has to be the person that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appoints as the teacher and appoints as the scholar, the person that is your guide in this world. This person is going to be the one who meets the perfect definition of the scholar, the teacher. Everyone else tries to get as close to this as possible, but it will never be a perfect match because they are always, no matter how hard you try, you will always be a fallible human being, limited to your own abilities, to your own efforts, and so on and so forth. And that's why we said we're beginning with this topic so that we make it a habit, a custom of ours, that when we think scholar, teacher, and Islam, our mind first goes to the infallible. And then we look for the best example, the closest example. So for instance, a scholar, a alim rabbani, before I jump to so-and-so of our great scholars, for instance, past or present or future, my mind should first go to the infallible, to the members of Ahl al-Bayt, to prophets, to messengers. Okay, so that's established. And because I received a couple of questions more about this topic, we're not saying, to be clear, we're not saying that there is no alim rabbani outside of the strict definition that we gave, which is the infallible. We're saying that no one will match that definition perfectly in the absolute sense. It will be relative. They will match 50% of it, 80% of it, but no one will match it 100% unless God tells us so-and-so is your scholar, so-and-so is your teacher when it comes to things that have to do with your spiritual salvation. And that's what we're talking about. Okay, so there is this hadith from Imam al-Sadiq salam in which he says, So people end up being of one of three types. So this is one more hadith. We talked about this topic, I think, enough. I'm just adding one more hadith. I didn't use it. I thought it was clear enough, but I'm adding one more hadith because I think this one is also a hadith where the imam is being very explicit on who the alim is in case there is a question. Remember the time we spent going through the narration from Imam Ali when he talks to Kumail, he tells him there are three types of people. Here again, Imam Sadiq is saying there are three types of people. He says, There is a alim, we would say a scholar. So a carrier of knowledge to, to use the a literal translation. 
because it's different when you say it in Arabic. Alim is someone who carries knowledge. Okay, it's different than saying a scholar. No, it's not a scholar because you and I may refer to someone as being a scholar when they are not carrying knowledge. Okay, so people are of three types. A scholar, a learner, and ghatha. Ghatha is the froth, the dirt, and the froth that you find on the surface of the water. The actual term is scum. This is the meaning of scum. It's this kind of worthless rubbish that you find floating on the water, on the ocean and the sea. Okay, all of this, the Quran says, when there is something good and bad, and how do you distinguish it? Well, this scum that you find on the surface of the water, it just ends up being wiped away. And there's nothing that is remains of it. This is when you compare truth and falsehood. The Quran says it's that easy to, to compare and, and uh, identify what is good and what is not. As easy as it is when you look at the scum of the water and the rest. Right? So here Imam Sadiq says people fall into three different categories. There is the scholar, the alim, there is the muta'allim, the learner, and there is the ghatha'. We're interested in the first two categories. The learner, that, that's our point. Who is the learner? The Imam here, he says, and our followers, وَشِيَعَتُنَا المتعلمون. So who is the scholar? The Imam says, فَنَحْنُ الْعُلَمَاء So we tend to use the term alim for anyone who gains a certain amount of knowledge, be it little or a lot. Ahl al-Bayt when they refer to the true meaning of alim, they say, نَحْنُ ulama. And our followers, our Shia, he says, وَشِيَعَتُنَا الْمُتَعَلِّمُونَ Those who follow in our footsteps and who learn from us, those are the mutaallimun. Does he say there is a difference in rank? There is a difference in rank. But let's say someone has spent 80 years studying our religion and learning from what the Imams have said. Does the Imam say that this person is going to be promoted from the rank of the muta'allim to the rank of alim? No. He keeps it exclusive. He says, نَحْنُ ulama. The absolute sense of the scholar remains at the infallible level. Everyone else, it's always open. And that's why the definition we gave, we said true knowledge or true, true scholarship is to the extent that it matches the teachings of Ahlul Bayt. To the extent that what you're saying matches what Ahlul Bayt are saying, you are a scholar. The more you match, the more you can repeat, the more you can explain, the more you can refer to them, elaborate, bring people to them, the more you are a scholar. That's the true definition of scholar. Okay, so I think this point, inshallah, is clear. This was just as an introductory remark that we, that we made. And... Uh, after spending a bit of time on this, we began last time we met by going through the importance of choosing the right teacher. Now that this is understood. Okay, today we don't have access to the Imam directly, so we can rely to on their teachings and what we find in the scriptures and the hadith. But we have access to other people. We have access to scholars in the sense that we understand scholars. Right? So among those scholars, we want to choose the teacher. That was the whole point. Okay, so we want to start talking about first, and inshallah this, po- this part is clear, 
the importance of choosing the right teacher. You'll remember the examples and metaphors that we saw from the imams. They say how strange it is for people to be so careful in what they put in their stomachs, what they eat and what they drink. They're very careful, but they're not careful in what they put in their mind and in their heart. And this becomes their faith. And this becomes who they are. And so therefore, to us, a warning. Of course, at the superficial, easy level, it means make sure that you are choosing the right teacher when you are in a situation where you're saying, I'm a student and I'm listening to someone as a teacher. That's the easy one. The difficult one is, who are you allowing to influence you? Who are you learning from without perhaps even realizing that you're learning from them? Are you even aware that this person is influencing you? Are you doing this intentionally or not? Should you allow this type of thought to influence you or not? Can you tackle it? Can you deal with it? Are you well positioned to hear anything and everything? Or are there things that perhaps you should say, I shouldn't expose myself to all of these different thoughts, right? I want to limit myself to things that I consider to be good for me. I don't want to listen to everything and read everything and watch everything. Everything you watch and everything you listen to, everything you hear is going to have an influence on you. That's why we have in the hadith, and many of you will already know this, the hadith that say, من استمع إلى متكلم فقد عبده. Whoever listens to a speaker, it is as though they are worshipping them. So if they are saying things that are godly or bring back to God, they are worshipping God. And if they are saying things that are opposite to what God wants, to the teachings of God, that bring to the devil, the hadith says, then they are worshipping the devil. Okay, even though the speaker is a speaker, it's this person who's talking, but what are they teaching you? How are they influencing you? And we started seeing, so after we established the importance of choosing the right person in this way, we started talking about some of the characteristics that we want to look for. So inshallah today, this is what we're going to continue with. So if you missed that, we started with the characteristics. You'll remember some of them, for instance, that we want to find someone who is going to help us leave arrogance behind and become more humble, right? You want to become a better person as a result of associating with this person. We, we had four or five characteristics mentioned in a couple of the hadith. So today, inshallah, we are continuing. Now, I want to make a quick remark, a methodological remark, especially for those who have been following for a while and you see that this is a, a long series and uh, the topics can be intertwined and complicated, and I think it helps to kind of map out what we're trying to do. So on the one side, we're trying to establish, so this is between two brackets. If you're not interested in the methodology and the mapping, you'll skip it for one, one or two minutes. On the one side, we're trying to identify what are the characteristics of the scholar or the characteristics of the teacher. That part should be clear. Another topic that we want to talk about that will be very important for this whole heading of the teacher or the scholar in Islam is that we want to know what are going to be the duties, the responsibilities associated with that rank. And we already started seeing some of that. Okay, When someone is a scholar, there are certain responsibilities that are not good, now going to be associated with them. Additional duties, now that you are a scholar, now that you know there's a different 
responsibility that is upon you than the person who did not know. And the more you know, the more responsibility. So we could have entirely separate you know, headings for each one of these. But the truth is, there's a huge overlap here. If we're trying to identify what are the characteristics of the good scholar, the scholar that we want to become, the scholar that we want to learn from, then in a lot of ways, those characteristics mean that they are honoring their duties. This is the scholar who is living up to the duties associated with being a scholar. And so these should not be considered two entirely different topics. We can look at it from two different angles, but in truth, we're talking about the same thing. The characteristics of the scholar and the teacher are also the duties of the scholar and the teacher. Right? So inshallah, there's no confusion here, and so that we don't have to repeat all of this later when we're going to be focusing a little bit more on duties and responsibilities. Okay, so this is more at, as we said, the uh, methodological point. And uh, the rest, inshallah, I think is clear. So before we start adding all of these new characteristics and new duties and responsibilities that are listed, and there are many, many of them, and we're going to try to put them neatly in buckets and present them as we usually do, we already went through a big number of these characteristics in the two lectures that we had when Imam Ali was explaining who is the scholar and who is not. But we were focused on something else when we went through those. We were focused on establishing that the true scholar is the infallible. But the Imam was also giving us a whole description, a whole list of characteristics that you have to check off to meet the definition of the true scholar, which we said, therefore, you must be an infallible. So we didn't really spend any time on those. We just listed them very quickly. So now I'm going back to highlight those things before we jump into the new characteristics that we're going to study from Imam Ali and the other Imams that have to do with the scholar and the teacher and the duties and responsibilities associated with those roles. So, in the first bucket, the perhaps the biggest characteristic, the most prominent one that should have jumped at you already, and we're going to come back to all of these in a lot more detail, is the high degree of spiritual discipline that you should expect from this person. Someone who is in a scholar role, in a teacher role, and here we're talking about spiritual salvation, as usual. We're not talking about the teacher who is teaching you math or physics or, you know, history. Okay? If there is someone who teaches those things, who also brings a moral, ethical, spiritual dimension to it, great. But if not, there's no issue there. That's not the part that you're taking from them. What we're talking about here is the person you are allowing to influence you spiritually. The person you're taking your religion from. Okay, so the first characteristic you're looking for is their spiritual discipline. How much spirituality do they have and how do they influence you spiritually? Do they make you want to be a better person spiritually? Many of us might think what we're looking for in the scholar is a person who has the most knowledge. 
meaning, how we understand knowledge, the most information, the most data. As we went through many, many narrations until now, we see, no, this, is, this comes next. This is the easier part. To acquire the information is the easier part. The spiritual discipline is the difficult part. And this is the part that you have to be even more careful about. You have to be more picky about. Select it well. Okay, so you'll remember the beginning of this uh, khutbah from Imam Ali alayhi salam. Uh, it was Sermon 87. When he began, he said, Ibadallah, inna min ahab ibadillahi ilayh, abdan a'anuhullahu ala nafsih. He says, o, o creatures of God, servants or creatures of God, the most beloved of Allah is he whom Allah has given power against himself or against his passions and desires. This is someone, Imam Ali alayhi salam saying, the person that God loves the most is the person that God has helped with discipline over himself. This is spiritual discipline, right? There are people who have all sorts of different types of discipline. You may have a weakness here, but a lot more discipline there. There are people who are very disciplined with their diet. They won't eat any junk food, but they might not be very disciplined with their time, okay? Or the opposite, someone who is very strict with their time. They wake up at 5.30 a.m. no matter what, and they'll eat junk food all day. So this is, there are different types of discipline that we can have. Here Imam Ali السلام, is talking about the discipline over your desires and your passions. This is spiritual discipline, okay? And then, so he says, he starts describing this person. He says, فَاسْتَشْعَرَ الْحُزْنِ وَتَجَلْبَبَ الْخَوْفِ So that his inner side is submerged in grief and the outer side is covered with fear. He's not fearful of things in this world and he's not afraid or, or uh, uh, disappointed or uh, aggrieved by anything of this world. This is someone whose mind is much more preoccupied by what's going to happen to me in the afterlife. Am I preparing myself properly for death and after death? So the Imam says, فَزَهَرَ مَصْبَاحُ الْهُدَى فِي قَلْبِهِ وَأَعَدَّ الْقِرَاءَ لِيَوْمِهِ النَّازِلِ بِهِ The lamp of guidance is burning in this person's heart. So this is, this is where the, the source of the guidance comes from. The light in his heart is coming from where? From a fear of God, from thinking about death, from thinking about the afterlife. And he has provided this person, he's preparing sustenance for something that will happen later. Most, most, most people are oblivious. They don't think about it. They're ignoring it. They're neglectful of it. Death and after death. This person is preparing himself. It's like containers. You know, you have a... Al-qira is usually the food you give to a guest. You put it in these large containers. Imagine 14 centuries ago. You don't have a fridge, you don't have a storage room. You're living in the desert. You prepare these containers, these vases or containers made of mud, of other uh, such types of substances so that you can preserve the food so that when someone comes or you want to travel, you have some food stored. Imam says this person is preparing the qira, preparing this stored food for something that will happen. There's, it's inevitable. There's a day coming to him. And so he's preparing himself for that. Those things that are other people consider to be very far and very distant, he considers them very close. He brings them closer to him. Death, if it's inevitable, then it will happen soon. Because there's no way around it. It will happen. When, once that hits you, you can't live in the same way. 
as someone who completely neglects or forgets that death is coming? Are you preparing yourself? So this person, that thing which is distant, he considers it to be close. And that thing which is difficult, other people have trouble getting the discipline, waking up in the morning to pray, fasting in a hot day in the summer. This person considers it to be very easy. Because he's looking at something that he considers to be very real in front of him. Other people are just focused on the act. He's thinking on the, the aim. There's something behind this act. There's an afterlife. There's death and after death. It's not just that I wake up and it's difficult to wake up in the morning to pray. No, this has a lot more meaning to it. And that meaning makes this very easy to do. So the Imam says, الشديد, That thing which other people consider to be difficult, to him it's easy. Okay? And then he says, So he looks, when he looks, he perceives. So the Imam is not talking about physical, material looking. It's not talking about biological looking with the eyes. When he looks, he perceives. This person can go directly to what the truth is, to what the main aim is. What's the purpose from our existence in this world? And when he remembers, when he remembers, he increases. He increases action, he increases perseverance, he increases every time he remembers. He's not neglectful when that reminder comes. Okay? So that was the first part. We already have a whole list of characteristics of the scholar here. And therefore, us, we have to check off these eventually. As you grow in knowledge, this is what you're trying to match. This is how you have to, how you have to become. That's one. And two, this is who you're looking for. When you want someone to influence you, the imam is telling you, this is the person. This is how important, this is how much of a priority to them the afterlife is. Okay? That's one. The second part of the, uh, the sermon was talking again about, and remember here we're just taking out the parts that were the characteristics. Another characteristic is the ability of this person to guide. So this is at two levels. The first one we already saw. The Imam just mentioned something. He said this person's, there's a light that shines from their heart. Right? Zahara nurul huda fi qalbih. That was the first part. The light of guidance is shining through from his heart. And then the second part here, the Imam is now adding, وَصَارَ مِنْ مَفَاتِيحِ أَبْوَابِ الْهُدَى وَمَغَالِيقِ أَبْوَابِ الرَّدَى This person then becomes, in the first part, I myself am getting guidance. The guidance is in me, within me. But then as this shines to others, then others are also going to benefit. At first, the first step, the first layer, focus on yourself. You have to make sure that you have achieved that guidance before you go and sell it to others and present it to others. So the Imam here, he's saying, this is the second part. This person has now achieved the level where they are securely a source of guidance for others. So this person has become min mafatihi abwab al-huda. It's like they are a key to the, if there are doors that are locked, but behind those doors there is guidance, this person is the key to get you to the guidance. This person has become a key, this person has become the key to the doors of guidance. And what else? It's not only that they bring you to guidance, 
They also protect you from misguidance. The Imam says they have become locks. ومغاليق. مغاليق is the locks. The person, this person is a lock that is in front of the doors of misguidance. He doesn't let you go into where there is misguidance. Okay, so this is the second layer. You're looking for someone who is guided and who has an ability to guide others, who knows the truth and who can guide others to the truth. And that's why we said, the more you understand these characteristics, the more you see as much as we want to apply them to normal people, they don't fully and absolutely apply unless you're talking about the infallible. Okay, so we try to get as close to that as possible. But the absolute sense, we can't find it unless you're talking about a ma'asum, an infallible. The next part, and so here the ability to guide, you'll also remember, there was a hadith that we talked about, we mentioned last week, so this, there's a spiritual dimension to this, right? But there's also a very material dimension to this. And we saw that. There was a hadith last week, It also has to be someone who has the competence to teach, right? Some people have the knowledge, but they are unable to express it and communicate it and present it in a way that you will understand, right? So this is also part of the ability to guide. This definitely is a huge ingredient in your ability to guide. The third big characteristic is that this person has to become a stabilizing force to your faith. Especially in today's world. But this has always been the case. You see, if, if you were to sit and study, for instance, the ahadith, maybe a little bit less in the time of the Holy Prophet, but right after the death of the Holy Prophet and afterwards, one of the big themes in a lot of the ahadith of Imam Ali salam is this notion of fitna and onwards. Where now there is this clash of opinions and the truth seems to get lost. Truth becomes something ambiguous, relative, difficult to find. Right? So there's a lot of focus of our imams to go towards that. In that type of environment, as was happening. This is early Islam we're talking about. So imagine today, 14 centuries later, when you don't even live in an Islamic part of the world, where, where you are completely and entirely bombarded all the time with all of these different thoughts and theories and ideologies and ways of living and lifestyles. And how are you supposed to find the truth? And within all of that, how certain will you be of it? So if you keep that in mind, when you come to this scholar slash teacher, one of the main things you're looking for from them is that this is someone who is stable in his faith and in his belief first and able to stabilize you. And we already saw hints of that, right? You'll remember. So we're going to read the passages that have to do with this. This has to be someone who does not the opposite, does not do the opposite, or does not play the opposite role, which is what? And unfortunately, there's a lot of that. This person can't become a source of doubt for you. A source of questioning. Of course, sometimes under the heading that I'm an intellectual and I have a critical perspective and I want to go further than the common belief. And yeah, but you only end up weakening your faith and eventually leaving your faith. If everything that you are presented with the focus is only on the 
questioning and on the doubt and on the critical aspect of it, when does the firming up of your belief happen? And do you have the foundation to deal with the critique? Have you been equipped? If it's a historical matter, if it's a theological matter, if it's an ethical matter, you can't start exposing yourself to all of the things that may be wrong with this before you even know what the thing is in itself, what the belief is in itself. Today, a lot of what is presented is going in the direction of, under the heading of being critical or being very scientific and very rigorous. In the end, all it does is, in the least, if nothing more, then it's spreading doubt. And usually it goes much more than spreading doubt. People let go of entire chunks of their faith because of these little doubts. And it's not like they're scholars who have, you know, they're sitting there dedicating their lives to research. When you hear the thing, you're going to spend another three months discussing it and studying it rigorously and religiously until you reach a conclusion. You're going to hear a passing thought and with a quick doubt or a question, and that's it. That question just stays there, eroding away at what you thought was making you a better person in the past. And now all of that is going away because there was a question that was just left there without an answer. We have to be very careful with these. And so the Imam is saying here, this person that you choose as your scholar, the person that you choose as your teacher, cannot be someone whose role is to destabilize, is to shake up your, your faith. No, it has to be someone who in themselves, they are secure and anchored in their faith, in their belief, one. And two, they have the ability to secure down your faith, to anchor it down, to stabilize it, not the opposite effect. So in the first part, the Imam was saying, قَدْ أَبْصَرَ طَرِيقَهُ وَسَلَكَ سَبِيلَهُ وَعَرَفَ مَنَارَهُ وَقَطَعَ غِمَارَهُ وَاسْتَمْسَكَ مِنَ الْعُرَابِ أَوْ ثَقِهَا وَمِنَ الْعِبَالِ بِأَمْتَنِهَا فَهُوَ مِنَ الْيَقِينِ عَلَى مِثْلِ ضَوْءِ الشَّمْسِ قَدْ نَصَبَ نَفْسَهُ لِلَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ فِي أَرْفَعِ الْأُمُورِ مِنْ إِصْدَارِ كُلِّ وَارِدٍ عَلَيْهِ وَتَصْيِيرِ كُلِّ فَرْعٍ إِلَى أَصْلِهِ So this is the first part. You see the, the, the Imam begins by saying, this is someone who he has seen, he has seen his way and is walking on it. So first, in himself, the person is sure of what they're doing. They have a strong faith. They have a strong belief. Okay, And you can tell this from the manner in which someone talks or how they write or how they present. Are they presenting things from a position of strength or are they present, presenting things, things from a position of doubt and questioning and not being sure? Right. So he has seen his way. He's walking on it. He knows his pillar of guidance, the Imam says. He has crossed over the deep or the dark waters. So he knows where the danger zones are. And he can cross them safely, no issue. He has caught hold of the most reliable support. And he's going to come back to this. Okay, what is this most reliable support? The Imam is going to refer to it here. We're going to see it at the end. He has caught hold of the most reliable of supports and the strongest of ropes. He is on the level of conviction, which is like the brightness of the sun. When you look at the sun, how much doubt do you have that this is the sun? You have none. You're looking at the sun. You can't even keep your eyes open. It's so bright. The Imam says this is how truth is to this person. Unshakable, 100% conviction that this is what I'm looking at. I don't have any doubt about it. He has set himself for Allah the glorified by performing the most sublime acts, referring to everything he faces back to him and returning every branch back to its root. So these, that 
those two little lines at the end من إصدار كل وارد عليه can have multiple meanings. The Imam is saying everything that presents itself to this person, he refers it back to God. Or he refers it back to that most strong of ropes, which could be the Holy Quran. Or as he will say later, me, the Imam will refer to himself as Ahlul Bayt. He says, how can you be in doubt when we are among you? Right? So here the Imam says, whatever comes up, whatever happens in front of this person, how do they deal with it? They bring it back to God. God will tell me how to deal with this. The Quran will tell me how to deal with this. Ahlul Bayt will tell me how to deal with this. And so this becomes a whole methodology. This is not someone who acts randomly in the world. This is someone who has a very clear approach to everything that comes their way. Right? So this person understands, and this is what we've been talking about in this whole series and the previous series. We said, first you establish your worldview. And then when you deal with practical things, if your worldview is secure and clear, you can find the principles that allow you to deal with anything that comes up. You understand the general principles. Right? So here, وَتَصْغِيرِ كُلِّ فَرْعٍ إِلَىٰ أَصْلِهِ The same terminology that we find in our religion. There's furu' and there's usul. He says he brings back the furu', the branches, he brings them back to the roots. What are the roots? Do you know the roots of your religion? The usul of your religion? Your worldview? Right? God, prophethood and religion, afterlife. Right? These are the three big questions with their answers. That's your worldview. This explains to you who you are and how you deal with the world. Everything else becomes a detail, secondary, derived out of this. So the Imam says this is someone who, this is how they view the world. Everything that comes up, they bring it back to its root. And that will tell them how to deal with it. Okay, so first, this is in himself, this is how this person is. And then, now look at the role that he plays to with others. مَصْبَاحُ ظُلُمَاتِ كَشَّافُ غَشَاوَاتِ مِفْتَاحُ مُبْهِمَاتِ دَفَّاعُ مُعْضِلَاتِ دَلِيلُ فَلَوَاتِ يَقُولُ فَيُفْهَمْ وَيَسْكُتُ فَيَسْلَمْ قَدْ أَخْلَصَ لِلَّهِ فَاسْتَخْلَصَهُ فَهُوَ مِنْ مَعَادِنِ دِينِهِ وَأَوْتَادِ أَرْضِهِ So he is a lamp in darkness. Now this is the role he plays for others. He doesn't need to be a lamp for himself. He's a lamp for others. When there is darkness, this is your lamp. This is your guide. He is the dispeller of all blindness. Key to the obscure. Remover of complexities. A guide in a vast desert. When he speaks, he makes you understand. Whereas if he remains silent, it is because it is safe to do so. It's better to do so. It's safer to do so. He did everything only for God and so God has made him his own. Consequently, he is among the minds of faith just like you go to a mine to extract you know, gold or silver. Imam Ali says, this person has become a, go- a mine himself. And what else? And he is of, he is among the mines of faith and stakes of the earth. A stake we said is like a, a nail, a large nail. So that things don't move, you put a stake. This is the role this person plays to others. Stabilizes the faith of others. If they're lost, he guides them. They don't know, he teaches them. And he doesn't add more confusion 
and more ambiguity and more questions. The Imam is very clear. يَقُولُ فَيُفْهَمْ When he speaks, you understand everything they're saying. The opposite tactic is sometimes used. You intentionally add complexity and big words and academic name dropping and so on and so forth to sound smarter and more intelligent, which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do as a teacher, right? In any case, the next characteristic, action and leading by example, not just talk. And this is why we said, if you remember much earlier in the series when we spoke about the importance of being in contact with a teacher, Find an actual teacher, like a human being. Don't rely just on books and just on lectures. Find a a person that you can see, flesh and blood. You can talk to. You can watch them, how they live. You understand how they are. This has a huge effect on you, whether you realize or not. Right? So here the imam is going to bring you back to the actions. You You don't just need the talk from this person. You need to be able to see, but how do they act? Do they actually live by what they teach or no? That's a huge one. And in fact, for a lot of people, they have a lot of knowledge, much more knowledge than they need to be good in the world. But in a lot of cases, they haven't seen enough examples of people who are good in front of them, who live by these principles. And so with time, these principles become something very abstract, very idealistic, as though it's impossible to live by those standards. Right? It just stays as something that is unachievable, an ideal that no human being will be ever able to achieve. So it stays as just an ideal. And this is the importance of finding those people who will influence you in that way. Right? So here the Imam says, قَدْ أَلْزَمَ نَفْسَهُ الْعَدْلِ The first thing this person has done is that he has held himself accountable to being just or being fair or being balanced or being God-fearing. So this person does not start with others. This person starts with himself. And the first part of becoming the just person that they want to be is that the first step is the rejection of desires from his heart. He doesn't do just because his heart has a desire. He controls. And the imam, you remember, he began the whole sermon with this. He says, this is the most beloved of servants to God. The one that God has given, granted this grace of allowing him to have discipline over his desires. But now the imam makes it clear. No, this person is working very hard for this. It's not that God gave him a gift and so he doesn't feel the desire and you do. No, he feels the desire just like you. This thing would give him pleasure like it would give you. But this person has the discipline. He he holds it in place. He doesn't let it dictate. You don't weaken in front of the desire. The imam here, he says, this is the first step that he took to become just. Is that he held his desires. He doesn't let his, whatever his heart desires, he just does. He describes right and acts according to it. So again, this is not a normal person. This is someone who is in a position of being a scholar, a teacher. So of course you would expect them to describe what is right. But here the imam says, and he acts according to it. That's the key. That's what we're looking for. A lot of people will describe the right. 
okay? There is no good which he has not aimed at or any likely place of virtue to which he has not proceeded. When he knows that there is something good, and he might be very good at saying this is good, that is good, he will have moved in that direction. He would have taken steps towards that. He doesn't just dump the information on you and tell you, by the way, this is good. I'm not going to do it, but you shouldn't. No, they take the steps first. They act based on what they're preaching. Okay, but the key here is that it's someone who begins with himself. Then the Imam adds. This was the second part, the, the later part in the sermon. So here to us, I would say, this has to become our map. More characteristics to find that scholar we're looking for. The teacher we're looking for. The Imam applied it, you'll remember in the sermon, the Imam applied it to himself. Right? He said, and I am that person at some point in the sermon. And then he starts asking them these rhetorical questions. So he's going to give seven descriptors here. Those seven descriptors to us have to become characteristics. I have to walk around with a, with a checklist when I'm looking for my scholar, for my teacher, to see how many of these can I check off, to see does it match what the imam is describing. Because he's now describing how he is acting among those people, among his own people, as their scholar, as their teacher. So he says, أَلَمْ أَعْمَلْ فِيكُمْ بِالثِّقْلِ الْأَكْبَرِ did I not act before you based on the greater thiqil, which is the Holy Qur'an? When I act, is not all of my action based on the Qur'an? To us, characteristic number one. That's what I want to see from my scholar, from my teacher. You act based on the Qur'an. How knowledgeable are you of the Qur'an? Two, وَأَتْرُكْ فِيكُمْ الثِّقْلَ الْأَصْغَرِ and so, did I not retain or hold or protect or guard the second thiql, the smaller thiql, which are Ahl al-Bayt? This is Hadith al-Thiqlain. Inni tarikun fikum al-Thiqlain. And in some ahadith, ahaduhuma akbaru a'lamu min al-akhar. Right? So here the Imam says, when I act, did I not act in a way that is always based on the first thiql, the weighty thing that the Prophet said, I'm leaving. Two weighty things, two important things. The Qur'an and Ahl al-Bayt. Imam Ali says, when I acted, did I not act based on the Qur'an? And did I not guard and take care of the second thiql? So he's married to the daughter of the Prophet. He is raising the two grandsons of the Prophet. So that has to become our second characteristic. How important is this second thiql? How important is Ahl al-Bayt in the worldview of this person? We're considering the scholar. We're considering the teacher. And did I not plant the banner of faith? So this is the main role that this person has to play. Faith, belief. Next. And did I not show you or explain to you what is halal and what is haram? What God wants you to do and what God does not want you to do. Here the imam is going to add Layers that may or may not apply to your typical scholar because the imam is in a position of political rule. Okay, so he's going to add things. Some of them will apply. Some of them may not apply to every situation. The first one is that there is a adl. There is a justice that the imam says. Do not make you taste the health of my justice. 
Okay, that's first. Secondly, وَفَرَشْتُكُمُ الْمَعْرُوفَ مِنْ قَوْلِي وَفَعْلِي The virtues of my sayings and the virtues of my actions, did I, did I not open them up under your feet as carpets to walk on? That's what the Imam is saying. Okay, so this is someone who acts virtuously, who speaks virtuously. And finally, the Imam says, وَأَرَيْتُكُمْ كَرَائِمَ الْأَخْلَاقِ مِنْ نَفْسِي And did I not show you only the best or the most excellent of manners from myself? He doesn't need to. In a lot of cases, he doesn't need to. They don't deserve it. He, he needs to treat them with a lot more harshness, with a lot less compassion, with a lot less good manners. The Imam says, but at all times, I showed you only the most excellent of manners. Again, you go back to that scholar, or that teacher, this is what you expect. This becomes your checklist, your roadmap. Okay. Then the Imam has continued here. We said the main preoccupation of this person has to become their afterlife, not this world. And there's a lot of indications for this. When you look at someone, you can tell what is their most important thing. How hard are they working towards A, priority A, priority B, priority C, and so on and so forth. Here the Imam says, قَدْ خَلَعَ سَرَابِيلَ الشَّهَوَاتِ He has put off, he has removed sirbal or sarabil, the clothes, external garments. You could say your pants or your outer garments. The Imam says this person has removed the garments of sarabil al-shahawat, of desires. Their desires are like clothes that they have removed. What else? وَتَخَلَّى مِنَ الْهُمُومِ They're no longer preoccupied by much, except إِلَّا هَمَّنْ وَاحِدًا انْفَرَدَ بِهِ Except one main preoccupation. They have one main preoccupation. What is it? The afterlife. Or, in the more spiritual way, God. Okay? فَخَرَجَ مِنْ صِفَةِ الْعَمَى وَمُشَارَكَةِ أَهْلِ الْهَوَى Again, the Imam says this person has therefore left the descriptions of those who have blindness, who don't see fully, and to share the same characteristics as the people who follow their desires. Then he continues, this person is a source of knowledge and they have a certain approach when the Imam says, This is someone who has drank from a sweet and pure water whose source has been made easy. So the source of the knowledge of this person is pure. And this is something you should be able to assess. When they give you information, where is this information coming from? What does it represent? This is important. And that's why we focused a little bit earlier when the Imam was saying, everything that comes their way, they bring it back, they refer it back to God and His book. Or do I go to some guru online who happens to be the latest trend today to see what this person has to say about it and how do I deal with it? Right? So, وَارْتَوَى مِنْ عَذْبِ فُرَاتٍ سُهِّلَتْ لَهُ مَوَارِدُهُ فَشَرَبَ نَهَلَا وَسَلَكَ سَبِيلًا جَدَدًا So he drinks until he is satisfied from those pure, sweet sources of knowledge. وَسَلَكَ سَبِيلًا جَدَدًا And so he is able to follow the best of paths. قَدْ أَمْكَنَ الْكِتَابَ مِنْ زِمَامِهِ And this is where the Imam is a lot more explicit. He says it's as though we have reins. Right? You control the animal with reins. He says, 
It's as though you have reins. He says this person has given their reins to the kitab, to the Qur'an. The Qur'an controls where this person goes. Right? The Qur'an is the qa'id. The Qur'an is your driver. Tells you go left, go right, stop, go faster. Right? So wherever the Holy Qur'an says this is a place to stop, he stops. He's describing it as though you are a camel and the Qur'an is the one driving, right? He says if the, the driver says you stop here, you stop here. That's it. You don't do differently because you've given your reins to it. You'll remember this is the very end when the Holy Imam is describing the role of Ahl al-Bayt He says, how can you still find a way to get confused and to get lost and not find the truth when the Ahl al-Bayt are living among you? So again, it brings us back to the importance of the source of knowledge. What is your source of knowledge? When you speak, if you are speaking on behalf of religion, where is that knowledge coming from? Is it really coming from religion? Is it coming from Ahl al-Bayt? Are these the teachings of Ahl al-Bayt? Are they teachings that bring back to Ahl al-Bayt or something else? Okay, so this is what the Imam is saying and this is what becomes our checklist moving forward. Then we had on the opposite side everything that the Imam was saying to avoid. The scholars to be avoided. So you will remember here he, he was talking about the scholar who was presenting himself to the world the one who presented himself to the world as a scholar, calling himself, the imam says, calling himself a scholar when he is not one. Right? He acquired jaha'ila min juhal, adalila min dhullal. He acquired misguidances from those who are misguided and ignorances from those who are ignorant. But all of this was wrapped together, packaged together and presented as though it is knowledge. And the imam began by saying, he's not knowledgeable, he's not a scholar. Okay, and then the idea here, he has gleaned ignorance and so on and so forth. He says he has set for the people a trap made of, made of ropes of deceit and untrue speech. So this is someone who is starting to use these methods to bring people to himself or to something other than knowledge, other than religion. There's something else going on here. He is using religion as a net, the imam says, as ropes to trap people. It's a net, as you would with fish, for instance. So he says he uses his ability to speak and his knowledge as a net to fish people. Right? So this is trickery, deception, and so on and so forth. But here, clearly, the imam is referring to someone who has an ability to talk, smooth talker, and able to deceive to use their ability to talk as a net. And so by opposition here, you'll remember, this is someone who was using the Qur'an as their guide, the true scholar. Here this person, he says, This is someone who, who, who made, uh, who interpreted the Qur'an based on his own opinions. He makes the Qur'an say what he wants, he wants it to say. And he folds the truth according to his own whims and his own desires. He doesn't go looking for the truth. He will flip the truth, fold the truth 
to whatever he wants it to say because he has an ulterior motive. He wants to use that teaching, the Quran, the truth, whatever it may be, for something else. Okay, and then the Imam had continued. He makes people safe from the big sins. He takes light, the serious sins. Uh, he says that he is waiting for clarification and, and so on and so forth. So this is someone who lacks fear from God. He knows what he's doing. This is someone who has no spirituality. This is someone who uses religion as an instrument. Okay, and the result is that this is not clear in this passage whether this person themselves have doubts or they know but they're still intentionally doing this, but the result is for others, this is going to be doubts. This is going to lead to innovation, as the Imam says. He says, I stay away from bid'ah, but he has fallen fully into it. He's creating innovations. He's creating a different version of religion that matches his own desires. Okay, And then at the end, clearly the Imam is saying he does not even recognize guidance for himself. So how can he make people avoid misguidance and bring them to guidance? He himself does not recognize guidance if, you know, if it were to hit him on the head, as they say, if it were to be right in front of him. Okay, and then you will remember the other passages that the Imam was talking about. The description he had given to Hamajun Ra'a, if you remember, he said people are of three types the divine scholar, Al Alam al Rabbani, the person who is on the path of deliverance, the learner on the path of deliverance, and the Hamajun Ra'a, or Ra'a. And then the description he gave, and this becomes very important, it brings us back to this notion of doubt and lack of stability, lack of depth in your belief. He had said, These are people who will follow every caller. These are people who will bend with every wind. That's what the Imam is saying. This is basically not someone that can be relied on because they are assured of their own conviction, of their own beliefs, of their own values. Okay, these are people who can be easily manipulated by basically what's going on in the world. The other passage, and I can go a little bit faster here, the use of religion as an instrument to this world, you'll remember was also used in the passage from Imam Ali to Kumail. When he was saying, the Imam said, there is so much knowledge that is contained in my chest, if only I would find someone who would carry it for me, that I can spill this knowledge to, and I find none. But then the Imam said, yes, yes, there, there are some. There is one who is, I found such a one who is eloquent and a good memorizer, but he could not be relied upon. Why? He would exploit the religion for his worldly gains, the Imam said. أصبت لقناً غير مأمونٍ عليه لقناً, someone who can memorize quickly and someone who can speak very well. He will learn the information and he, he has a strong communication skills. غير مأمونٍ عليه I can't rely on him or can't trust him. Why? Because he's going to use religion مستعملاً آلة الدين للدنيا Religion is an, a tool that he will use for this world. I can't trust someone like that with my knowledge, the Imam says. Right? So this is a, the categories to be avoided. He's not saying no one can learn. He's saying there are some. They're smart, they're intelligent, they're good at memorizing, they're good at speaking. But they can't be relied upon because they're using religion as a tool for this world. The second one, 
the one who lacks depth, you will remember. He said, or there is one who loves the truth and the people of the truth, and he's willing to follow them. But he lacks the depth. He doesn't have the wisdom. He doesn't have a penetrating insight to understand things and put them together. He, he sees things at a superficial level. He's too simple-minded. It's too easy to trick someone like this. It's too easy for someone like this not to see the full picture. They'll be too naive, too innocent. Right? So someone who handles more knowledge than they, takes on more knowledge than they can handle will end up in this situation. Okay, so the Imam here, awmun qadan lihamalat al-haqq. Someone who, who accepts to be a follower of the people of truth. That's the second one. But the Imam says, لا بصيرة له في أحنائه. There is not a, an ounce of insight between his sides. There's no insight. There's no deep thought in this person. ينقدح الشك في قلبه. And that's a problem. And so someone like this, who has a, too much of a superficial uh, way of seeing the world, it's too easy for this person to suddenly start doubting everything they believe in. It's too easy for doubt to spark into his heart, the Imam says. The moment there is a big question, they're not sure of something, the doubts start. And they're no longer sure. Because they don't have a deep understanding, a deep knowledge of what they believe in. And then the third one and the fourth one, the Imam goes much faster. He says they're basically interested in the pleasures of this world and they lack discipline or they're obsessed with wealth and amassing wealth. Those are the four categories that the Imam describes in this uh, saying to Kumail. And from there he says, therefore, if those are the four categories, I found no one to carry my knowledge. And you'll remember at the end, he came back to Ahlul Bayt He says, but they are few and how I long to see them. You'll remember how I yearn for them and I long to see them. Okay, so until here, we we can conclude from the ones that we covered until now. I thought we'd have uh, more time. I'm looking at the next ahadith. I don't know if we start the next one or not. Um, maybe we start one. Let's start with one more characteristic and then I'll wrap it up. I was going to wrap it up, but let's start one more characteristic. So until here, we're done going through the characteristics that we've already covered. But now we presented them as characteristics. Okay, so now we're trying to understand who is the scholar, what are their characteristics, and what are their duties. Right? We said we look at both at the same time. The next one, let's call it Al-Amana. Loyalty or trustworthiness. So this can have a lot of meanings. And because there's a lot of these characteristics, I don't want to spend a whole lecture on each. Okay, we let's keep moving quickly so you understand this whole notion of trustworthiness and amana enough. We have a number of a hadith that basically tell us a scholar is an amin. A scholar is someone who is entrusted with something, entrusted over something. What are they entrusted over? They're entrusted over knowledge. That's the role they should play and that's the role you should be able to recognize. You should feel like this person cares about the knowledge, cares about how it is presented, cares that they have a duty associated with that knowledge and so they act accordingly and they maintain that knowledge. They take care of it as though it is something important, something special. 
Okay, and therefore you, as a seeker of knowledge, inshallah, you're doing the same thing. You understand the duty, the responsibility associated with the knowledge, and you feel yourself as a caretaker of this knowledge. You can't let that knowledge die. You can't that, let that knowledge go to waste. You have to do what you can to keep pushing that knowledge, preserving that knowledge, and keep pushing that knowledge forward. The first hadith from Imam al-Sadiq he says, Al-ulama'u umana' wal-atqiya'u husun wal-awsiya'u sadah So, kind, almost cryptic, but we always start with these hadith in this way. The Imam says, scholars are guardians. And the pious, or the pious ones, or those with piety, are fortresses. And the successors are masters. So the scholars, inshallah, is clear. Those who carry the knowledge, their role is to be guardians. We're going to look at two hadith that are going to explain in what way are they guardians. And then when he says, People who have taqwa, piety, God-fearing, they are husun. Husn is a fort, a fortress. That in that world were very important. This is what protected you, your town, your city from any outside threats. He says, those with piety are fortresses. In what way? So the Imam is talking about things that are spiritual. How is the person with piety a fortress? First, they say at a more material way, more worldly way, when you see someone pious in front of you, they're a constant reminder of what to do, what not to do. And this means that eventually less sins happen, more good happens, and so they are a fortress against evil, against bad, against sins in this way. That's the first meaning of those who are pious are fortresses. They're protectors in a society. And the second meaning, no, this is a much more spiritual meaning, otherworldly meaning, ghaybi meaning. It's by their blessing by the blessing of those who are pious and God-fearing, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects a town, a city, a land, because they are present there for their sake, for the sake of their God-fearing, for the sake of their piety. People don't realize, people who live around them in the town, in the land, in the country, in the planet where they live, how those people are protecting others. For their sake, for their God-fearing and their piety, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects people from things that are meant to happen, are supposed to happen. But they don't happen because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the sake of these people, is going to expand that protection to others. So they become fortresses. Okay, وَالْأَوْصِيَاءُ usada الْأَوْصِيَاءُ here is a clear reference to Ahlul Bayt, being the awsiya of the Holy Prophet, the successors, those who inherit those who continue the same message okay, of the Holy Prophet they are masters. They remain masters. Nothing changes the fact that they, whether they are in a political position or not, they remain the masters. Okay, That's the first hadith. So this is the idea that the person who is a scholar, a carrier of knowledge, is a guardian over something. That's all we established. We're going to explain it now. They're a guardian, they're a caretaker, they're entrusted with something that they have to take care of. Okay? Second hadith. 
from the Holy Prophet He says, Knowledge is that which God has entrusted for safekeeping on earth. Allah has put knowledge on this planet and He has entrusted it for safekeeping. And the scholars are the guardians over that knowledge. So now we have an explanation what the Imam meant when he said, Ulama are guardian. So what does it mean to be a guardian over knowledge? The Holy Prophet says, it means you act based on the knowledge you have. Again, brings us, bringing us back to the same topic. The two conditions. The knowledge has to be acted upon. To be a guardian over the knowledge means that you act based on the knowledge that you have. Do you become a guardian over that knowledge? Okay, and then the Holy Prophet ﷺ continues, وَمَنْ لَمْ يَعْمَلْ بِعِلْمِهِ كُتِبَ فِي دِيوَانِ اللَّهِ مِنَ الْخَائِنِينَ And the one who does not act based on his knowledge, he is written in the register of God as being one of the traitors. He has betrayed what he has been entrusted with, which is knowledge. Okay, so this is the second hadith. The third hadith. The Holy Prophet ﷺ says, الرسل. So here, before, they were simply umana. Then they became umana of the knowledge that God has left to be entrusted in this planet. Now he says they are umana al-rusul. They are the trusted ones from the messengers and the prophets. They have been entrusted with something from the messengers and the prophets. Which is what? Which is their knowledge. Then he gives us two conditions. So we are already saw what it, he meant earlier. He said you have to act based on your knowledge. So we know what you have to do to be one of those scholars who are umana, who are reliable and trustworthy. Now he's going to tell us what not to do. It's going to say, مَا لَمْ يُخَالِطُ السُّلْطَانِ وَيُدَاخِلُ الدُّنْيَا So long as they do not ally themselves with the rulers and they do not enter wholeheartedly into this world. So they are umana, they are guardians. Now we know what they had to do. So long as they act based on that knowledge. Here the Holy Prophet says, and so long as they do not ally themselves with the rulers, who will manipulate the people based on the opinions of the scholars because people respect religion and respect scholars. And so long as they do not enter into this world, يداخلوا, they don't go far into this world. They don't enter this world wholeheartedly as though this is their only priority, becoming as wealthy as possible, becoming worldly. So long as they are not worldly, so long as they are not part of the system of the rulers, then they are staying safe and they are honoring their role as a guardian over knowledge. I think I'm going to stop here. So I think this part, inshallah, is clear. So this is the first new characteristic that we added, that the scholar is a guardian. So that's what we're looking for in the teacher and in the scholar. And this is what we have to aim to achieve in ourselves as well. And for what we covered earlier, we're going for the teacher who is elevating us spiritually. We're going for the teacher or the scholar who is going to increase knowledge, increase guidance, provide guidance, 
a scholar who can lead by example, that the afterlife seems important to them, that they have a high level of spirituality, that it's not only empty talk, and they have an ability to teach, an ability to guide and teach. And on the other side, we can say the opposite. So the one that we want to avoid, or we want to be careful with, is the one who lacks spirituality, the one who seems to be empty talk only, okay, or even contradictory talk, but that's one more layer, seems to be using religion as a tool for this world, someone who may have all the knowledge, intelligence, communication skills, but knowledge is only an instrument for this world, someone who lacks depth, judgment, insight, and the one who's excessively interested in material gain, and someone who lacks the ability and the capacity to actually teach, to actually communicate the teaching so that you can receive it and do something with it, or sometimes what you need is a convincing ability to. Okay? So, inshallah, with this, we can wrap up the the second, I think, lecture where we're talking about the characteristics of the scholar, and inshallah, next time, I'm not repeating. I did a whole recap this time, so inshallah, next time we're just building on this. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين questions concerns comments was that a question John no okay it's long people need to stretch and move I know اتفضل عليكم السلام ورحمة الله so it's my first time joining, joining you in So uh, I moved recently from Winnipeg to, to here to follow me and my family. And I'm lucky enough to you know to know you. I I, I watched a couple of your lectures before I came in physically you know, and see you see you like in a in person. Um, I've been invited by one of my brothers that I met in Masjid Ridar. Um we we're all blessed. We have to say because of this blessing. <clears throat> so I I didn't attend all the lectures, the fifteen or fifty-two lectures that you, you gave to, to the audience. Um, but uh, I I've been watching uh, just today two to your last two uh, lectures just to catch to catch up mm -hmm. and be on the same page with you. Probably you know with lots of questions. So, <clears throat> um, so what are the? I, I'm assuming like you have you have set up like a, a program you know to, to go through step by step. So because through the hadith of Imam Ali the divided people in three. So <clears throat> to me, like who like I learned this hadith. Long time ago, I'm, I'm, I'm 42, almost 43 years old. So I'm still young, relatively. But at, at the time, probably of my brother's here's age, I, I learned that that hadith. So it, it's stick in my mind, like, and it's it's kind of uh, a, a constant and, and permanent reminder. Where should they be? What are my duties? But at the same time, lots of questions, endless amount of questions, still are popping up in my mind. Because you know, I, I believe, I don't know if I'm right or not, you, you tell me. Um, so he, he all, not only, or he and the Imam, 
and Allah and so they, they went deeply and probably into, into this hadith as, as we mentioned the hadith of Abu Jafar Salah so they not only define the three categories of people but there is something that I, I, I feel there is something very subtle between every category and the adjacent one and that's where the danger is for, for us, if we are, we're working hard uh, to belong into muta'allim, because we're not aiming into the first degree, that's for sure. <coughs> so, and so that leads me into the, this. So the first, the second divider, which is between muta'allim and hamish, but at the same time, on the same, uh, the same, like if we do the, the same uh, semantic projection, it gives us this like doubts in the subtle meanings that if someone is alim, so certain is alim rabbani, so he defined it in Allah Ta'ala. But sometimes in, in our like you know in our word and since since the since the time is time. So there has been lots of alim. But they were not reflecting, you know, godly meanings. So should we find no talk like exclude those from being Alim, because Alim Rabban is a compound characteristic. So it is Alim and Rabban. And, and we know that Al-Bayt uh, when they, they pick the words, they pick them from thousands of words. We have three million words in Arabic language. It's the richest language ever in the world, in the history of human beings. So Alim and Rabban. So should we dissociate these two from the whole meaning that the Imam apparently and additionally was was um, was trying to point out. <coughs> as far as the same thing for Muta'allim ala Sabidi Najat, because we could be Muta'allim and lose our track. But are we are we excluded of being Muta'allim? So are we kind of you know although we're trying to because we're Amin Najat, which is in the, in the chronological word, like a order of the of the sentence or hadith. Because if you go to the left, the end of the sentence, so oh So it's like if you lose Najat Ba'ad, you're gonna hit into Hamash. So these subtle dividers that are between the three categories, the two dividers so concerning for someone to seek in Najat. I, I don't know if you got the idea, but it, it's not that, you know, if it is not that blatant to to Muta'allim, whether he's at his 20s or 40s, maybe at 60s, seeking for, for Najat, it's still very, very subtle. And um, <clears throat> every preacher, every alim, if, his, if he pretends to be a Rabbani or not, We'll have to go through all this check, you know, checklist. It's it's hard. It's, it's not an easy homework. Uh, uh, <laughs> you were probably, you know. So, and at the same time, so are we going into in the lectures? Are you planning to go in the same, you know, academic way into the characteristics of, of characteristics from the the way you, you you're do, you're doing for Alama? Um. So. Excellent question, and I understand exactly what you're uh, referring to. Um, for the learner, for the muta'allim, 
we spent um I'm guessing around 15 lectures. I don't know, brothers, if you can, uh, if you know the number, who's following. What we spent about, yeah. So, so the the way we built the the series, and and you referred to a few things, and I think if you have time and the patience to do so, to go back to the beginning of the series, I'd say at least maybe the, the first three lectures, and it will give you a good mapping of what we're trying to do in the in this. Uh, we're, we're at lecture. Uh, maybe 52, 53 today, 52. So um, it it began with the notion that we live. The world is a is a complicated and complex world to start with, and we believe that we're in an even more complex time right now. So the whole series is designed, hopefully, in a way that uh, as a reaction to this statement, we live in a complex world. Therefore, how do we live? Islamically in this world and we began so we said the series is going to be uh, mapped out or designed based on a number of themes maybe 12 or 13 themes depending on a couple of them do we put them as one theme or we split them up the, th the first theme is the one that uh, I very ambitiously and explicitly told my very brave brothers and sisters here that uh, this is about rewiring ourselves. And the the first step in our religion, the, our religion is a knowledge revolution. It's a revolution that starts from within and how we see the world. It's a, it's a revolution of a worldview. And so this is why we began with, we simply called it knowledge to keep it simple. Um, but it's more than knowledge. We're looking at, uh, on one side, you know, our ability to have judgment, insight, acquire knowledge, uh, use reason, and these are different. Ilm, aql, ma'rifa, hikmah, these are different. We talked about that earlier in the series, but the idea is also to keep it at a practical enough level that everyone benefits. Um, and so once we understood the importance of knowledge, we moved to the opposite to see if it's an alternative, jahl, and we saw what Islam says about jahl. We spent, I don't know, seven, eight lectures on that. So we come back to knowledge. Now what? So for methodological reasons, we said there are two conditions. Let's let's cover them now because once we understand those two, then everything will make sense afterwards. There are two conditions that have to be met for knowledge to be Islamic in our religion. The first one is that it has to be acquired with the right intent. Our intentions have to be good. And the highest form of good is ikhlas. So somewhere on the spectrum of ikhlas, this is what we're aiming for when we're acquiring knowledge. And we had, a, I don't know, 10, 15 lectures on that. And on the other side, we have to make sure that knowledge leads to action, that it transforms us internally, and that it leads to action. And the first step, therefore, is that we become learners. And we began into the series, which we led. Now, this sub-series is about building the community of knowledge. So it's made up, we're going to say, of three parts the learner, the teacher, and then the community. And so we finished the learner, we spoke about the learner, and we tried to apply what we learned, and then we went through the ingredients. So what does Islam say about being a learner? Where do you start? Uh, how are you supposed to be? And we went into some spiritual, high-level, uh, more theoretical uh, considerations, and we went into very 
practical things that our religion also addresses. The way you, you manage your time, the way you study and review what you studied, the way you do your discussions with others, even the manner in which you sit in a group when you are in front of a teacher, and so on and so forth. And there was a reason why we went through all of this. Now we're trying to do the, the scholar series, um, and inshallah it won't be as long, because a lot of what we're, the, the, the headings have been covered. What we said about the learner is going to apply as is here, but only more to the teacher and to the scholar. Uh, and then the idea is that, therefore, we have to spread and create the community afterwards. And then we'll talk about the types of knowledge. How do we prioritize? What type of what what does our religion say? Where do you, which type of knowledge do you acquire? So we'll go through all of the examples, even though we hinted to that much earlier in the series, to go through the verses of the Quran, the narrations, and see how it prioritizes, how it's important to be selective, how far do you go in different types of knowledge, and which ones can you just ignore entirely. Um, and then there's other, a few other uh, topics all related to knowledge, then, and we will wrap it up. That will be our knowledge series. And uh, this is just theme one. So the, the idea is, once you put all of these themes together, you basically have a very holistic view of what Islam says, in the way to live and that's why we called it life it's our life series so we wanted to talk for instance about um, the notion of fitrah human instinct or human nature the primordial nature of a human being what is it and and what does it mean in today's world and how do we find it and how do we live based on it for instance the the, the whole notion of a human being and slowly we go from there to the character that you build and the characteristics that make it up. So that might be a second or with it theme. Okay. And then we can go to the, all the akhlaq that fall into that. Okay. What makes you who you are in the world that you live in today's world? The different faculties that you have in your soul and so on and so forth. And then we start moving towards the family. We go from the individual towards now you have to start interacting with other people. So your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, and then you build the family unit. And that would be a theme. And once that's done, then we move towards society, your place in society. And we have to look at it from interactions with others, things like social justice and so on and so forth. What is this Islamic theory on, for instance, economic development and economics in general and and so on and so forth so that that's kind of the the way the series is structured i don't know if i answered the question or not um but you made a couple of remarks in in your comment um and i think they're they're worth at least uh, saying a, a couple of words about the the notion that there are these um, barriers that allow us to demarcate between alam al-Rabbani and muta'allam ala sabili najah. Do we want to split those up because they're compound or not? I think it's very intentional. You saw that the hadith today, it did not give that specificity. It simply said alam or muta'allam. It did not add Rabbani. The hadith that we began with today from, uh, I believe, Imam al-Sadiq salam, he said, يَغْدُ النَّاسِ عَلَى ثَلَاثَةِ صُنُوفِ عَالِمٌ and it's the same notions. The, even the Hamajan Ra'a, and we, we spoke about it, if you go back, you'll see it's very close to this idea of Ghatha, right? It's something that is very small, insignificant, it's the masses, there's a lot of it, but it has no value, and so on and so forth. I think there's a, 
um, of course, it's Imam Ali salam. There is no word that is stated without a huge purpose behind it. And I think this is what allows us to, when we simply say alim, we would need the, this type of you know, explanation from the imam here. فَنَحْنُ الْعُلَمَاءِ Now I understand what he meant by ulama. Whereas Imam Ali salam contained it in one word, he gave you the condition right away. It's not that the other does not exist. There is a alim that exists except that it's not, it's not going to fall squarely into three categories. And he wants to put them in three categories. So for the three to work, you have to add the condition. You have to say alimun rabbani. You have to say muta'allim ala sabili najat. The muta'allim could also be in the hamaj, as you said. The muta'allim could also be somewhere in the ghatha. What puts him in the second category is specifically ala sabili najat. Now he's in a category of his own. right? And this is to us the only viable one. There is no other option than to be muta'allim ala sabili najat. I think your your question is also about the practical considerations. What do I learn? And what do I study? And where do I begin? And what does it mean? And so inshallah, for some of these we covered in the learner part, and some of these they're coming. So after we're done, we're going to spend time on the types and the priorities. What do we What does Islam say to study? And how do you give priority to different types of knowledge? And ultimately, you know, what are you focusing on? Even though we kind of gave a lot of the answer when we said what really matters and what makes knowledge Islamic is meeting the two conditions. So long as what you are acquiring in terms of information is acquired with sincerity, with ikhlas, it brings you closer to God. And two, you're going to do something with it. So it either affects you internally or you do something with it in the outside world and that makes you or the world, therefore you, better. That's it. And then the rest is secondary. That could be biology or art or sociology or aqaid. Right? The, the type of information becomes secondary. So, But we will go through the details to clearly establish that from all of the ahadith too. So I don't know if I answered, because that's uh, the whole mapping. And welcome to Ottawa and welcome to the, to the series. <laughs> Very nice to meet you, uh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so you're inspiring the the all the mythology from Nadariyat Marifa, right? If I got it right. From from Nadariyat Marifa. Um, Did you mention theory of knowledge? Yeah. So there is that. There is a lot of it in that, but. I'm trying to keep the series really focused on Ahl al-Bayt and not look at it from a philosophical perspective. I, I'm not falling into epistemology, although there is a lot of what we're talking about that touches on that. I don't think that's the most practical aspect that we need for these types of series. That would be something different. But yeah, definitely we would uh, we could have a lot of fun with that too. But it would be more more theoretical and more uh, more advanced. Yeah. Yeah. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله الطيبين الطاهرين